In this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast, we are talking all about coaching with one of the most legendary coaches to ever help athletes, Dr. Frank Dick. Frank really needs no introduction. He's coached Olympians. He's coached high performers. He is one of the most successful coaches to ever walk on the planet. We're specifically diving into how he coached elite athletes, the winning formula that he used for working with athletes, the key questions that he asks, and how we can apply these lessons to everyone, everyday people, because the right coach has a bigger impact on you. It's not just sports performance. The right coach has an impact on your entire life, and the lessons that you learn from them carry over into so many other areas of your overall life. And with that, I'd like to say a big thank you to all of the coaches that have impacted me across my lifespan thus far, because I wouldn't be where I am without the lessons that I've learned uh, throughout my life and experiences playing sports and doing different things growing up. Before we get to this amazing episode, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on today. Okay, really pleased to be here. So for people who aren't familiar with you and the amazing legacy that you have had and the impact you've had on the world of coaching worldwide, could you kind of discuss a little bit about who you are and where your fascination for athletics came from? Okay, well, very quickly, as a, as a kid at school, it was kind of a skinny little guy. It was a, it was a rugby playing school, and um, I was the guy who was getting knocked over most of the time. Um, but, but I began to get a, a bit of a passion for running, um, and so ended up going to a Scottish schoolboys course. Um, I idolized a character called Tony Chapman, who was the national coach. And kind of maybe at that moment, I thought to myself, one day, maybe. Anyway, life went on. Uh, I did, did some, a lot of track and field at school. Um, moved on as an athlete. I eventually got to, to Loughborough University or Loughborough College, um, which was re really uh, quite famous, even at that time, for producing athletes and for, for following track and field and for preparing teachers, because that's what I was trying to do, be a physical education teacher at that point. Growing out of that was I, I was already trying to write schedules for other people, um, even when I was an athlete. Well, we left Loughborough, and at that point, um, Loughborough wasn't giving degrees, and so I figured with a friend of mine, Bill Pink, um, to see if I could get a Fulbright scholarship um, and go to the United States and study in the University of Oregon because there was a coach I was really interested in there uh, called Bill Bowman. And um, so that happened. I went all the way across there, worked, worked under Bill for, for a year. Um, and I was really into it by that time. I really walked, was desperate to get into coaching. Um, however, there were not a lot of professional opportunities at that point. And um, at one point, I'd been offered a fellowship to study educational philosophy in, the, in UBC in Vancouver. And I went up to say goodbye to my mom and dad. But who should I bump into in Edinburgh? My, my hometown, um, but Tony Chapman, that same guy that I, 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 when I was a kid. And what he said, do you, yeah, do you realize that um, uh, John Anderson, who was, the, who was then the national coach, has resigned? He said, why don't you apply for the job? And I said, no, really, I've made my mind up now. I'm going to go to Canada. I like the way, the, 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 I like life across there. And he said, no, no, just, just apply for it, for a laugh and see what happens. Well, it, wasn't, it was more than a laugh. They offered me the job. 
and that started it. It was Scottish national coach, then director of coaching for the United Kingdom. Um, and that took me into a world where, um, on the one hand, I'd written the coach education program for Scotland that was now going to be the coach education program for the United Kingdom. I was a head coach and I was also um, an active practical coach. And the, I suppose the guy that you, you'd know mostly from track and field that I worked with was Daley Thompson uh, as a double Olympic gold medalist and world record holder. That's awesome. In decathlon. In decathlon. So that was it. I got to that point. But then I was be, uh, being approached by people outside track and field. Um, and a guy called Jan Tiriak asked me if I would work with Boris Becker, the tennis player. So I, 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 was just, I was still actually in track and field at that point. And I was just simply designing his conditioning programs and trying to create a sense of how you prepare in, in, in year plans um, a, a sense of strategy to, to only peak at certain times. Um, that grew into Katarina Witt, the ice skater, asking me to do the same thing, Gerhard Berger and Formula One, and then different sports. By well, that time, I was outside track and field, and the world of business was chasing me because I, I'd managed to sell the concept that coaching wasn't just something that applied in sport, it applied in any aspect of life because at some point in your life you're going to be a coach whether it's to your children whether it's to a partner whether it's going to whether it's at work or whatever at some point in life you're going to be that and so that broadened the whole thing and that took me right through to the present time where i'm working with world athletics as the chair of the global athletics coaching academy uh, president of the european athletics coaches association and just a couple of weeks ago for World Athletics, we ran the World Athletics um, uh, Coaches Club. My concept there being that uh, we could have somewhere on site. The, the next one, by the way, is going to be in Eugene uh, for the World Championships, but you could also have it virtually. And my dream there was that we can help coaches learn and be educated in real time with real experiences, uh, rather than wait to be to told the story afterwards. So people from around the world can participate in the event when it's happening, and we can bring in panelists from around the world to help shape coaches' education. I so love that concept. That, love that concept and love your journey and everything that you discussed on the realm of coaching. It's not just for athletes. That's where it seems to have started for you, but everyone needs a coach in one way or another. A coach is a mentor and a a good coach can have an impact on every aspect of your life, right? A good coach is remembered by people. I still remember my good coaches and my bad coaches from high school and my days growing up, right? They had an impact on my life that reached beyond the sport. And that's something that is extremely valuable. And if we bring people together, like you're discussing, and we learn from one another's experiences, we as coaches and as instructors and mentors get the coaching and mentorship that we need to elevate our game to the next level. It's a way to have an impact that's intangible, right? We get impacted by someone, then we turn around and impact someone else. It's an amazing yeah. concept. And I think one of the things that you learn as you become less young in life, you never stop learning. You know that you, at one point in your life, you think you know just about everything and then suddenly you realize you don't know all that much. <laughs> and as far as far as coach is concerned, um, that's really important that you see life 
you see your learning journey as a never-ending story. And, and so a, a large part, you've gathered it from the story I've given you of my, my, my background, a large part of my life now is coaching the coaches. But that brings us into what a coach is supposed to do in life. And my message to all coaches is you've, you've actually got two jobs when you're working with your athletes or with other, developing other people. As, as a sports coach, your first job is to prepare athletes for performing in their arena. And your second job is to pre 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 prepare them through that process to perform better in life. So you're doing the two things. And I think most coaches get that, you know? I mean, if, we, if you go to, go to some of the uh, huge heroes in coaching that you, you've had in the United States, uh, John Wooden, for example, who was the, you, you'll remember, was the, the head coach of the UCLA Bruins, one of the greatest coaches in history in any sport. And he defined coaching as taking athletes from who they are to who they're capable of becoming. Because that's not just in what's going to happen on the basketball court or on the track. It's what's going to happen in your life. And right. you've, you've, you've just said it yourself. The impact that the coaches have had on your life, um, the, 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 there are messages there that last forever. And one of the reasons for that is that one of the, one of the big skills that every coach has to master is the ability to tell stories right, to create analogy, to create metaphor, so that you have a picture in your mind of, of, of a feeling, you know, so, so the language that we have to use in, in, in coaching very often is what, what I call kinesthesis. I'll give you an example of that. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I was working with a young lad called Cameron Sharp. He's a 200 meters athlete. And um, he was good, but I, I knew he could be better. And what was happening was he was running a pretty good bend, but coming off the bend, nothing seemed to happen. And it was just, it was just kind of uh, trying to last the straight. And I kept on saying to him, you've got to drive off the bend. You've got to drive off the bend. Um, and nothing didn't, didn't, mean a, didn't mean a jot to him. But I happened to be training one day in Edinburgh with him. And uh, it was the Edinburgh Highland Games were coming up at Meadowbank. And um, Don Quarry, who had been the Olympic gold medalist in 200 meters, he happened to be running at the competition. And as he was jogging past me, he said, hey, Frankie, it's not driving, it's lift. Ask him to lift. And, he, and I, I, I then changed that trick, changed my, my language, nailed it first time. <laughs> and just as an aside on that, why I was wrong is that the only time you really drive in sprinting is when you're accelerating from the blocks. And in these strides, you've got a relatively longer contact time with the ground. When you're at full speed, you've got hardly any contact time with the ground. You're touching it. You're running over eggs as you, as you move forward. Mm -hmm. And every time I was asking him to drive, I was asking him to do absolutely the wrong thing because to, to him, driving was like coming off the coming off the blocks. Right. And the the the, the bottom line to the, the, this part of the conversation is, get your language right. No, I Make cannot agree with you more. That's in, incredibly important. And we often don't when we're coaching someone or training someone, we often don't look in the mirror and think, what am I saying or what am I doing wrong? 
we often continue on whatever uh, we're saying and just expect the athlete will eventually get it, right? And I, I like um, a while ago, we worked with Eric Diagati and he used his two week rule. If I'm not making a change in two weeks with this athlete, I have to change my own strategy because maybe it's not them that's the problem. Maybe it's what I'm doing. And I also like what Dr. Kelly Sturette said uh, at the end of February in our podcast with him. He was talking about the concept of pain, right? And, you know, athletes will come and they'll be like, yeah, you know, my shoulder feels sore, achy, my hip feels this, my knee feels that. And so many coaches back off of training through pain, right? And it's the fact that we don't have the understanding of what that pain is. We have to seek further. We have to ask further questions. We have to understand the language and vernacular that's being used. Because I guarantee you, if you put someone like you or I in the head of some of these different uh, athletes that you mentioned, like Boris Becker, the tennis player there, or um, other one that comes to mind is like Bodie Miller, the skier, right? If we put ourselves mm -hmm. in his uh, mind at the end of a match, at the end of a ski race, pick any high caliber athlete. If you put yourself in their mind, I would imagine that they're in quite a bit of pain when they're competing. Their muscles are burning up. Their lungs are screaming for air, but they mentally have the capacity to push through it. So if we just stop training through pain, then we never get to that point, right? So it's seeking that further understanding of what words actually mean and how little changes in your approach can have such a big impact on that athlete's training. Yeah, for, 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 for sure. And the, um, so in order to get that language right, maybe one of the golden rules that every coach should remember is know your people make time to know your people and part of that is um what was highlighted to me by a lady called corinne reed who is one of the top best in the world uh, as psychologists for, for in sport uh, she coached the um sorry she, she was the, the the psychologist with rick charlesworth when he coached the back-to-back -back women's um, olympic gold medalists in field hockey um, and the expression that she used was, you, you have to know your stress signature. And I'd, I'd never heard that expression before. But it, it, for, for example, if I'm working with you and we're in a team together, it's kind of important for me to know what are the things that irritate you and can, can make, maybe make you lose it out there? What are the things that motivate you and keep you going? Is, is there a word that you like to hear at the right moment to keep you going, going through things? And I really love that concept. But once, once you understand how important it is to, 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 know, to know your people and know each one of their stress signature, it's also kind of important to know your own. It's really important to know your own. And again, most people don't take, make, make time to do that as a coach. We really have to know ourselves as much as we know our athletes. And you know, there's, a, there's a, 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 an adage that's flying around at the moment is there's, there's a gold standard and a platinum standard in how you treat people. First of all, the gold standard is treat people the way you'd like to be treated yourself. The, the platinum standard is treat people the way they want to be treated. And the, 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 there's a, a subtle difference between the two things. But they all come to knowing our people. And that, that speaks to the importance of individualized coaching, right? 
each athlete needs different coaching. Each athlete has different goals, right? Take a high school football team. Someone on that high school football team might want to play in college. Someone might just be there because they want to be fit, active, and in shape. And someone might be there because they like football. All three of them are correct. They're all there. None of them is in the wrong. But the way you coach each of those athletes is different. And if you don't take the time to individualize your coaching approach, like you said, to the specific athlete, diving in deeper to what their goals are, what language do they like to hear, what stresses them, what motivates them. If you can leverage those things effectively and efficiently, then you become a much more powerful coach and you get so much more out of your athlete, right? It's not necessarily just push them harder, train them harder, more conditioning, more strength training, more drills. Sometimes it's that psychology opponent, the mental component. And I know that you also talk about that in detail in your uh, sports training principles book there. I have the sixth edition and I love how you really dive into that concept of things that impact performance that aren't necessarily the physical, aren't the things that we see or think of right away. Well, I think think to start off with, um, I think that you you have to come to some clear understanding of and with the athlete you're gonna be working with. And and that starts with, in my, my mind, three questions. What do you want? What is it you really want out there? What's your goal? And it could be any of the three options that you've just given. Second question is, how much does it cost? We're not talking about economics here. We're talking about truly understanding what has to be done to get to to that goal that you're wanting. And the final one is the big one, I suppose. Um, Are you prepared to pay the price? Yeah. once you, once you start off on that journey and you've got all these questions together, you're right. It, 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 there are certain fundamentals you must work on from the beginning. It's what I call controllables. And the, the controllables are the things naturally that you can control, the, the, your basic techniques, um, the fundamental principles, um, all, all those things. Some, and some of these things, maybe 10 years, years ago, you wouldn't have been able to control. So you have to keep on top of that to work out just how many of these things you can control to do with their performance and their growth. Once you've got that into place, there are two areas. There's the elimination of errors and there's to find the, what some people will call margin, marginal gains, what I'll call the winning edge. Now, the, as far as the errors are concerned, there's a guy called Ross Braun, who was the, um, the head engineer with uh, Ferrari and what he was in, in, in Formula One. And he, he, he focused, started to focus on the, the, the pit stops and realizing that the, maybe we could get these better because maybe there are little mistakes that are being made out there. When he started, it was eight seconds for a pit stop. And understand what was happening there. The, the car was coming in, it was being jacked up. Uh, the nuts off, wheels off, wheels back on, nuts, nuts on, refueling the car, cleaning the visor, realigning the computer in eight seconds. Right? He got it down to six seconds. Right? More recently, Red Bull, and they don't, they don't refuel anymore, Red Bull got it down to 3.2 seconds by eliminating. Oh, no. right? 
The other side, as I say, is finding these marginal bits. And tell a story about a, a young Scottish lad who wanted to swim for um, Great Britain in the Olympic Games in London. And he'd heard that in cycling, the, these guys uh, are, are constantly looking for these tiny little bits that are going to make a difference. And so um, he asked, he got in touch with one of the, one of the coaches in cycling. They said, so he said, well, what kind of things do you do? He said, well, we do lots of things. Like, like what? Give me an example. I said, well, did, did you know we put vinegar on the spokes of the wheels? Really? He says, yeah. Said, what difference did that make? Said, almost nothing. No. So he left and he, he but it was a stone in his shoe and he phoned him back up again two weeks later and he said, listen, I don't get it. Why would you do something that does nothing? He said, I didn't say that. I said, almost nothing. Now the bit is, if you look at those things that you can examine to make a difference in your athletes, they can be physiological, they can be psychological, they can be biomechanical, they can be, do, can be, be medical or, 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 or medical related things, they can be logistics. Once you start examining these areas and drilling down, believe me, very quickly you, you come to over 50 little areas. Now the bit is you can get almost nothing out of each one of them. It's when you add them together, you get a significant something and that makes a difference. Once you put that in together and to summarize so far, you've controlled the controllables, you've got basic techniques, bits and pieces in place that are gonna be robust and the right kind of techniques because if, if you've got the wrong technique, and you try to get faster or stronger, you're, going to, you're simply going to get faster and stronger at doing something wrong, right? So you get these basics right in the control, controllable side. Then you look at the error elimination and the advantages, and then that leads to two things, to have an agility of mind to, to, to dealing with change in the arena, because the life is changing by the moment out there. Secondly, you've got to have an agility of mind to turn uncertainty to your advantage. The truth in life is there is there's no certainties in sport. That's what makes it fantastic. And you can train, you can get the most perfect program, but there's still not going to be a certainty out there because the opposition are wanting the same things you are. Yeah. Once you've examined, once you've got these two things in place, then you, you begin to make the right decisions under pressure out there in the arena. And once you do that, you'll win and you'll win and you'll win and you'll keep on winning. And you become unstoppable. And one thing that really stands out to me is you never mentioned focusing on the uncontrollable things in there, right? You never mentioned, Wait, you know, absolutely. Focus, yep. You never mentioned like, oh, you know, focus on the weather because, you know, the weather, it could be good. It could be bad. It could be, you know, absolutely piss poor and, you know, focus on that or focus on the referees, focus on the other team, focus on the things you can't control. No, that's not how championships are won. And that's not a winning mentality, right? As you said, it's not a easy process. Uh, I'll quote from Seneca here. In the meantime, you have to cling tooth and nail to the following rule, not to give in to adversity, not to trust in prosperity, 
and always take full note of fortune's habit of behaving just as she pleases, right? You might mm -hmm. be the underdog in a match and you might come out on top because you have more will to win. You, you want it more than the other team, right? But there's always going to be an obstacle in your path in sports. Maybe it's the other team. Maybe it is the officials in a certain case. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's someone on your own team. But that obstacle can become your path forward if you approach it correctly, right? Yeah. That it's obstacle can make you or break you. You're absolutely right. There's a book, and I, unfortunately, the author's gone straight out of my head. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Ryan um, Holiday. That, that's, that's the stoicism. There's another book I would recommend, and that's The Courage to be Disliked. If you've not read it, it's by two Japanese authors. It's brilliant. It's, it's, it's written like a, um, uh, one of the old um, uh, dialogues, uh, the Hippocrates dialogues in, in a form of philosophy time where the, the apprentice, if you like, is asking the, uh, the, the master kind of thing, mm -hmm. a question. It's a, it's a beautiful book. It's, it starts off with the apprentice saying, look, Basically, the reason I've come to speak to you is I think you're talking a lot of crap. It doesn't quite say that. Um, and the, the, the master said, well, that, that's good. I'm glad you, you brought, brought that up. Why do you think that? And then we start going deeper and deeper and deeper to get to the controllables. And the bit that you, you, you have a choice. It's, it's actually very close to Adlerian uh, psychology as opposed to Freudian and Jung psychology. Freudian convinced you, convinced us that we were victims of our childhood parents and bits and pieces. Adler is absolutely the other way around. It's you that's in control. You run your life. Nobody else runs it for you. It's your decisions. And it, it, re it really is. I think that the, the first book they wrote was The Courage to be Disliked. The next one was The Courage to be Happy. Both really good books. But they're actually following up what you've just said. Right. And the other one that comes to mind for me is, um, oh, I forget the book. I think it might have been called The Way of the Samurai or something similar. It was by, I'll, I'll butcher this pronunciation, but Lord Naoshagi, uh, a Japanese individual from years ago. And one of the things that really stuck with me from that book was he, he talks about The Way of the Samurai, which was one of the most fierce warriors in, in history. And he, he makes it clear that the way of the samurai was in desperateness. Common sense does not accomplish great things. And he hits home on the point that you have to become almost, I'll say, insane and desperate about whatever you're trying to accomplish if you are destined for great things. And I think that kind of plays into coaching and athletics, right? We look at these athletic greats, um, individuals like Tom Brady in the U.S., or Kobe Bryant in the U.S., Michael Jordan, or you know, across the pond there in uh, Europe, we look at guys like Ronaldo or Messi in soccer, and these individuals don't look at their sport as a part-time job, right? To them, sport is everything. They are fully invested and committed in their sport, right? In Tom Brady's example, he retired, and 40 days later, seven weeks, six weeks later, he was back in the sport because he couldn't really handle a life without sport, right? You become so obsessed with the process. You become so invested in the self-improvement and self-betterment game, and you fall in love with the sport. And as a result, you become one of the greatest. 
And if you never fall in love with that process, if you never start that process in the first place, as you mentioned earlier, maybe someone doesn't take the time to focus on what they can control. Maybe someone doesn't go through and start to correct the errors in their game and see immediate benefit, immediate gains in performance, immediate result. And if they don't do those things, are they going to fall in love with the process? Are they going to become, you know, the next elite level athlete in whatever they're competing in? And if once you fully invest in that process, and again, I'll go back to the same words I used before, you become a little bit desperate for success. You desire it, you solidify for it, and you wake up every morning, right? And you want that thing bad. You want it better than the other guy. You want it better than the other team. That's what cultivates success. And part of all the other things we've discussed, it's having that winning mindset and mentality, that kind of chip on your shoulder and attitude that you want more, that you want it. And it's not something that's easily explained to, um, I'll say the average individual or someone who's not in athletics, because they might not be able to relate to wanting something so bad that they wake up every day and they work hours and hours and hours for it. Maybe they can, maybe it's more of a lifestyle goal, but it's it's, it's a big hunger and it it comes back to my three questions. You know, what do you want? How much does it cost? Are you prepared to pay the price? And part, part of the cost is to be willing to step out to a lot of people talk about the risk of losing which I think is rubbish because you don't, you know, you, you don't have to practice it. It can be a pretty big, big gift in life to, to be a loser. Um, I, I argue that it's our job to take the risk of winning, to step beyond the line, to go for no other person's gone, which is why, I mean, I've always loved the, the lines from Robert, Robert Frost and, and his poem. Um, the, 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 I think, I guess everybody knows that the road not taken where at the end of the, his, last, uh, his last part was, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's to have the courage to take that road that no one else will go on. Uh, to, uh, a, lot, a lot of people get in mind that winning at the end of the day is, is, is only trying to be better than you were yesterday, but it's more than that. I mean, that's fundamental. But the people who, who aspire to greatness, they are looking to do things differently and to do different things as part of being better. Because th- there comes a point of diminishing turn, return in all of our lives if you just keep on doing the same thing, no matter how much better you're trying to do it the curve flattens off and at some point we've got to depart we've come, got to come to the i've just been writing a eulogy for a dear friend who um who, who's actually responsible for me taking up coaching in the first place to be quite honest at loughborough because he got me into loughborough robbie brightwell an extraordinary guy and my the point i'm making in the eulogy is that life is just a series of crossroads and your effectiveness and your achievement in life is all about the decisions that you make in each of these crossroads. And the, the winners in life are not, never look for the easy way. They never look, look, look for the shortcuts. If you, if you try, if you, as the John Wooden said, 
if you keep on trying to do to apply the tricks of the trade, you'll never learn the trade. Right? You've right. got you've you've got to take the hard stuff and keep going, and because sooner or later you know nobody's going to follow you on that that stuff. They, they'll they'll never take that hard stuff. They'll never take the 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 the, the, the unfamiliar road to take the risk of winning, to step beyond the edge, because that's what great achievers do. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, as Thomas Edison said it, opportunity is often missed by people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work, right? Hard choices makes for an easy life. Easy choices make for a hard life, right? There are always going to be, I, I love your analogy of the crossroads. There's always going to be two paths or multiple paths in front of you for yep. any decision in sport, in life, in athletics, whatever you want to, uh, whatever topic you want to throw in, you're always going to have decisions to make. And your choice of trying to cut corners or trying to take the challenging road will make or break you, just like you said. That challenging road, yeah, it might be harder. It might be more difficult but you don't sharpen the blade on, you know, the weak or light or easy stone, right? If you want to really sharpen your skill and sharpen your craft, you have to challenge yourself. If it doesn't challenge you, it's probably not going to change you. And I, I think we live in a time where too many people are choosing the easier path for some reason. And they forget that elite performers are not overnight successes they do not ride talent and they don't sacrifice who they could be for who they are. Right. Um, you're right. When, you, when, you, when you're out there, you, you will get situations um, that, are, that are kind of like crises around about and everything's coming at you. And really it's, there's a very simple three options that could be there. You can quit. You can wait and see or you can fight and the winners never quit. The winners never wait and see because they know that achievement is not something you wait to happen. It's something you, you make happen. Right. So the only, the only choice when it comes to the winners out there, the people who do will achieve great things in life, not necessarily in an, in an arena, but for the families, for the business that they work in. It, it doesn't matter who, where you are, it's, it, it's your arena. Um, you've got to stand up and be counted. It's the hard, you, you're coming back to a previous point, it is the hard stuff. But one thing's, one thing's for sure, um, you have to learn how to fight you do. smartly. You do. You have to fight. And even when you fail, like you mentioned before, you have to get up and continue to try and fail and continue to try and fail in ensuring you never fail to try. Because that's a really, that's a really good, good area to go into. You've, you've got a guy called Dennis Watley, I think his name is, who wrote, wrote a brilliant little summary of what failure is. Um, and his opening line is, um, failure should be your teacher, not your undertaker. And failure is something um, you get if you do something if you do nothing if you are nothing and you say nothing and then you will be nothing that's it and, and you, there, there was something but, but just lingering on this idea of failure 
I work, work quite closely with a, a guy who, in, in my opinion, was one of the greatest football or, or soccer coaches ever, Alex Ferguson, who's a fellow Scot. And when Alex was with Aberdeen, uh, I was a Scottish national coach. And when I became the director for the UK, he went to Man Manchester United. And so we kept together all the time. And we, we were trying to summarize, you know, the winners and the losers out there. And he said, you know, Frank, the one thing you have to be really good at is how you manage failure and how you manage success. And of course, the first one's easy, isn't it? You, you, yeah, of course, you fail, you've got to learn, get back. Failure's not falling off your bike, it's not getting back in your bike again and pedaling even harder, we get that. But why, why, why do you have to manage success? Because I'd been growing, I'd growing up and my, my mom saying to me things like, um, success breeds success. You've heard these kind of comments. But Alex would say, you know, success can derail progress because you can be begin to believe that you don't have to do anything more. You become complacent. And I'll tell you a story about that. What, what Alex did in 1993, uh, Manchester United had won the premiership in, in England and um, no, other, no team had ever won back-to-back -back premierships, right? It's a very tough league. Um, and so he pulled in Gary Pallister, um, the team captain. He said, listen, son, uh, the coaches and I have been having a talk and you've got a couple of people in there who think that that's good enough. They're satisfied. He says, what do you mean? Who are they? He said, it's not for us to say, son. Uh, it's for you. You're the team captain. I want you to work this out. And you could, so you can imagine as the season went on every week, he's coming back in. Look, boss, we just can't find them. Who are the guys that are satisfied and are becoming complacent. Says, son, this is for you to work out. It's not for me to tell you, you're the team captain. Went right through to the end of the season. And Gary came in and says, and they won. They've now got back-to-back -back championships. And he says, okay, boss, you'll have to tell us now, who were they? He says, there was nobody, son. But you must never allow complacency to grow. And that I think is really important. Even when you're in the contest, even when you're out there in the field and you've now taken the lead, when you're in the lead, you, your objective is to go further in the lead, not to stay in the lead. It's right. to go further in the lead. When you, if, if you're going to take, take, take over the pace of a game and of the fight, then you do so to put pain on yourself. It comes back to your own expressions earlier. You, you do so to accept pain in the belief that other people cannot accept the pain that you can. If you take the lead to get comfortable, be very, very careful because the, 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 the other guys will know that you cannot take the pace and they'll go for you. Exactly. I like to say that the wolf on top of the hill has to be more hungry than the wolf that's climbing the hill. And Good, I, good, line. good, I, good line. I love the connection that you just drew with Sir Alex Ferguson there because he is the most successful football manager in British football history. I think, yep. what did he win, 12 or 13 titles with Manchester yep. United? And he coached household names, right? Ryan Giggs, David Beckham, Nicky Butt, uh, Gary and Phil, uh, Neville, uh, yep. Paul, Paul Scholes, right? Like, he was the best of the best. So to take lessons from him, you, you can't get much better than that, right? And if he said, this is the recipe for success, 
I don't know how much more clear you can make it, right? And that's the kind of thing that I think so many people forget is it's good to be a pioneer. It's good to try and go out and develop your own way and own unique approach to things. But at the end of the day, there's already systems in place that have succeeded for people. You're going to take those systems and naturally make them your own. We're all different people. We're all different coaches. We've all got different experiences. We'll take approaches and put our own spin on them. We don't have to go out of our way to reinvent the wheel with this and come up with a whole new coaching strategy and coaching philosophy. That's why you have the books that you've written uh, yourself, right? You've learned so much across your life in the way of coaching elite athletes and individuals in general, and you want to share that with people. And you don't want people to have to go through, you don't want athletes to have to go through poor coaching, and you don't want coaches to feel like they're lost in trying to help people achieve their goals and desired life outcomes, right? People have to start somewhere. And if you start with a system that's been in place and put your own spin on it, then you're one step ahead of the guy who's still sitting there contemplating, how am I going to do this? How am I going to put these pieces together and make this team a team? How am I going to bring this athlete to the goals that they want if I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs and contemplating it? You're, 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 you're right. This, this takes us back to my, my point about being a lifelong learner. And learning is an interesting thing, you know. Um, there's some things in life you can be taught. There are other things in life you can only learn through life experience. Mm -hmm. You can be taught the science of coaching. You can get it in books. You can get it in webinars. You can get it in lectures. You can, you can get it in courses. You can be taught that stuff. But you can only learn the art. And you learn it through experience. And uh, Vernon Law, um, I think, summed up the issue with experience is that she's the cruelest of all teachers because she gives you the test first and the lesson second. <laughs> but it, but, but in, in our lives, we must be willing to do that. If you're going to learn the art, find a good mentor, find somebody that you can go back to and have a conversation with. But when you go out in the arena, um, go through the experience. Obviously, if I'm coaching you, I'll give you the best preparation I can give you. But as we said earlier, there's uncertainty out there. You're going to be faced with situations where you're going to have to make a decision in something that you've never seen in your life before. If you like, it's a mini crossroads right there in front of you. But you make, you make the decision and the coach must not, must not make the decision for you. I'll give you an example of that. Jessica Ennis, um, year before uh, the Olymp Olympic Games in London. Uh, she's in Daegu for the World, uh, World Championships. And it was tough competition. She had a problem with a javelin and she finished with a silver medal. Uh, when her coach came home, Tony Minicello, really, really good coach. I, I love Tony. Um, what he would do is give me a call and we'd meet for coffee um, and we'd it'd go through what happened? And he said, what do you think, Frankie? I said, well, I'm not going to argue with four lifetime bests in the heptathlon over two days. I mean, that is seriously impressive. Four lifetime bests. He said, are you going to say a but? I said, yeah, I'm going to say a little but. He said, well, when she was having problems with the javelin, what did she do? 
Well, she came to the side of the track to see me and Mick Hill, the javelin coach. So what did you do? So, well, I gave her advice, of course. I said, that's what you did wrong. She said, what do you mean? I mean, are you, are you suggesting we gave her the wrong advice? I said, no, I'm suggesting you gave her advice. <laughs> How is she going to learn to make decisions if you step in and make the decision for her? She learns nothing then. That's teaching. At some point, you have to have the courage to step back and, and, and allow, allow somebody to learn. It's our job ultimately to create the environment for learning. I don't, I don't, I'm sure you'll have come across this, this at some point, but there's a, what they call a hierarchy of learning, you know? Um, it starts off with learning to repeat, right? I did it, I guess you must have done it. I used to read track technique as a, as a, as a young coach coming through and I'd see the set, there's a little article in there called how they train. And he used to look at this and copy it down and translate it into the, 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 the coaching that I was doing. So you start off learning to repeat, but very, very quickly, you have to go to the next stages, learn to learn, learn how to learn. Then you learn to do, then you learn to be, then you learn to become. It's these stages of learning as you go through. And as you're going through, you're leaning more and more on learning through experience and finding the right people to talk, talk to about it afterwards. And that's how you grow. Because sooner or later, we all must realize that it doesn't matter what the textbook say, says, at the end of the day, that's teaching me. It's, it's, it, 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 you could be saying, oh, come on now, Frank, there's some learning there. Yes, there is but the most important learning is through experience. Uh, you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times sports training principles, and I'm pretty, pretty pleased with that book. It's, take, it's in its sixth edition. I'm happy with how it's grown. And, 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 and you'll have seen, if, you look, if, if you've looked at it, how it grew, to begin with, I wrote the whole thing on my own. Now I don't do that because other people know more about these bits than I do. And I want them to sort of be the leaders and all, all, all of that. But what I did do, is do another couple of books that are nothing to do with science at the end of the day, sports training principles. Um, they're about people. They're about what I've learned in my life about people and about winning. Uh, the first little book was called Winning. And the second one, which I think actually is the better uh, now, is called uh, Winning Matters. Um, and it's, it's trying to take all that I've learned, not just from my own sport, but from other sports, from athletes as well as coaches, from people in other walks of life, professional people, people who are trauma surgeons under pressure, um, uh, pe people who are uh, uh, doctors, uh, 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 um, supersonic pilots, um, the military in bits and pieces, because each one of them, just as you've said, has got something that you can that they can bring to your model. And sometimes you'll get rid of that bit of your model because this is better, but sometimes it will simply take it to a new level. And that to me was, that's, that's why I wrote the second two books because there's, there's very little science in it. You'll, you'll see that I've cross-referenced a lot of stuff that I've read and so on. But for the most part, this is what I've learned 
uh, rather than, and, and what I would arrogantly suggest other people might like to learn to. For sure. Frank, you have so much amazing knowledge and wisdom and insight, and I'm so thankful that you shared those extra book resources that you've uh, written as well, because I'm definitely going to be adding them to my own library here very shortly. This has been an awesome uh, podcast. Chase, Chase, Chase Rebecca, and get, get, get your home, send your home address, and she'll send you a book. Right, well, thank you. Uh, appreciate, appreciate that. Um, I, I love how this has come full circle. And I love all the knowledge and insight and experiences that you've shared about coaching with our listeners. Do you have any closing thoughts or closing remarks that you want people to uh, hear? Or do you want to say or mention anything about the EACA and any more about your upcoming events there? Well, but by all means, go, go to the websites, uh, the GACA, Global Athletics Coaching Academy website, or the EACA web website. In fact, become a member because it's free. Uh, the, the, the EACA uh, website will give you access to some of the really immediately to some of the great presentations we've been fortunate enough to have annually at the International Festival of, 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 of Athletics Coaching. Um, yeah, and, uh, and, and belong to that community. And oh, by the way, the, what we're trying to do is con to connect the coaching community in the world. So the Oceania Coaches Association, the Asia Coaches Associations, Nakatska, the North America, Central American, Caribbean Coaches Association. And so we're, we're, we're bringing them all together so that once you're a member of one, you've got associate members membership of the others. And you can now have a community around the world that you can share your wisdom with and you can collect the wisdom from them. So, but, but all of that really comes back to the very beginning um, I'm a coach. I'm very grateful that you've recognized me as a coach. I've spent my whole life coaching. And to everybody who's listening in, never lose your coaching passion because it, when, you, when you're exercising it, you are changing the world. Frank, that's amazing advice and a great point to end on. Thank you so much for your time and for all the knowledge and wisdom that you've shared with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy hearing it. Additionally, if you want to help support this podcast and keep future episodes going, please check out our links below where you can support us directly or through engaging in any of our affiliate marketing links. Last, please make sure you check us out on social media at Braun Body and leave a five-star review, especially if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify.